a few weeks ago, actually a few months ago, uh, a lot of you know uh, Randy Linker uh, and the Linker family. Well, Randy did something for my youngest son, Josh, and me um, that we could never have done for ourselves. This was back in May, and you might know, if you know Randy well, you might know what I'm getting at. Uh, Randy took us to a NASCAR truck series race at Charlotte Motor Speedway. Um, Now, that's like, well, anybody can do that. Well, not with what Randy did for us. So Randy got us like VIP ticket things. And he brought us uh, through like where nobody goes except for us that day and down through the tunnel and out onto the infield. And we got to... We got to be on the infield then. We got to go to, uh, what's it called, Victory Lane. We got to go in and along pit row and walk along that and watch and see what all the, the pit crews were doing. We got to sit uh, there behind pit row. Randy even gave us these uh, headsets. He put one on Josh's head. He put one on my head. And with the headsets, we can listen to uh, the, the communications of the teams with their drivers and everything. It was really fascinating. But not only that, um, then he took us and uh, he brought us back and he gave us like VIP seats right where in, in the regular stands, just where we could see everything. Um, and I want to thank Randy, even though... Yeah, maybe he's hearing this over the recorded time. He's not here this morning. But as awesome as that was, and doing something like we could not have done that on our own, as awesome as that was, that pales in comparison to what Jesus Christ has done for us. Uh, and that's what I want to talk about, share with you about this morning. Some of the things, the, the benefits, if you want to talk about it that way, some of the things that Jesus Christ has done for us. And as we get into this, if you are a believer in Christ, a follower, a disciple of Jesus Christ, I hope that when we're done, you'll be encouraged, you'll be built up. I hope that you will be um, motivated, in a sense, to, to follow Jesus in a more deep way and, and in an obedient way. If you're not a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, I hope that you it's my prayer for you that you will long for what I'm talking about. Um, so let's dive in here. We're going to be going in, uh, we're going to be reading in Romans chapter 7. Ron preached from Romans chapter 8 last week. So I'm backwards kind of guy. So we're going to go back one chapter <laughs> into Romans chapter 7. And we're going to be looking at verses 4 to 6. Before I read that, of course, I've got a little context to share uh, so that we can understand what what the argumentation here, what the line of thought really is uh, hap- here. So Romans chapter 6 and Romans chapter 7, especially, in these, in these chapters, the Apostle Paul, he's writing to the church in Rome, he is writing about the Christian believer's um, relationship with sin. Okay, it's a, it's a and, and I think you understand what I'm talking about here. Yes, we're believing and we're following Jesus Christ, but what about sin? How do we connect with sin? You know, I mean, or how does it connect with us? What's our relationship with that anymore as it stands right now? And, and to help us understand that relationship uh, to sin, he brings out the link between sin 
and the law, the biblical law, the law of God. Okay, and there is a link there. And we're going to look at that. Well, you really need to read Romans 6, 7, and actually going into chapter 8 to get the full argument, of course. But he's talking about the relationship, the connection between sin and the law and how we are connected and related to all that. So if you're not confused already, I hope you, know, you will be soon. No, <laughs> I'm just joking. Let's follow this again. We're not ready to read the scripture yet because I got to give some background information here because um, we're not just going to read chapter six, um, but you'll get the same thing for the most part if you read chapter six. So the law, what am I talking about when I'm talking about the law? I'm talking about what's largely found in the Old Testament. And you're familiar, I think, with a lot of this. The most famous part of the law is the Ten Commandments. You know, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not lie, those kinds of things. God giving his law. Now, what was the law? It was God giving his standards of holiness for his covenant people, setting it out there and saying, this is who I am because the law reflects my character, God says. It is a reflection of who I am. These are my standards for you as a people. Now live by them. That's what the law is all about. So it's important for us to understand the law is a good thing. The law is not a bad thing. The law is very good. Um, don't murder. Don't commit adultery. All those things. The, the issue comes that Sin is the issue. <laughs> and the law did not introduce sin, but the law pointed out what sin is. It's important for us to understand that. Because we are sinners, and we, we have the law, but we're sinners by nature, we cannot keep the law of God properly. We can do all that we can do, strive in every way possible, but no matter how hard we might try, we cannot keep God's perfect law because we are sinners by nature. So the result of that is condemnation brought upon us by the law because we can't meet that standard. So there is no other alternative but condemnation. Rightfully so by God. Those who fall short of God's law, God's word says, must die. That is the penalty of condemnation. God's law requires that. So the law of God, though it is a good thing, it is God's word, God's law in and of itself has no power to save us. It just sets out God's standard for us, but it gives us no way of meeting that standard because of our sinful nature. So this is what, this is, I'm not making this up, this is all of what Paul's explaining in various places in Romans, and not only in Romans, but in Galatians as well. So, because of that dilemma, that the law has no power to save us, God did for us what we could never do for ourselves. God sent his one and only son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to take the condemnation that we rightly deserve under the law to take that upon himself and to nail it to the cross. That is the message of the gospel. That is the good news that God did for us in Jesus Christ, what we could never do for ourselves. Without Jesus, we are stuck under the condemning condemnation excuse me, of the law. But in Jesus Christ, we are freed from that. So Paul says in Romans chapter 6, verse 6, 
He says, we know that our old self was crucified with him. Just stop there for a moment. Let that sink in. We know that our old self was crucified with him. In order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we, could, we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Our old self crucified with Jesus on the cross. This is what he has done for us. Because he is God himself, Jesus is able to do that. No ordinary human being could do that, but because he is God, he was able to take our sinful selves upon himself and put them to death when he was put to death on the cross. That is the power of God in Jesus Christ for us. This means the righteous requirement of the law has been met. And we didn't meet it. Jesus met it for us. And this is, what, this is the background to what we're leading to in Romans 7 uh, in the verses that we're going to read here. So in chapter 7, Paul goes on to explain this what I've been talking about, only he goes on to explain it in terms of an ilu- the illustration of a marriage, the marriage relationship. And again, we're not going to read the verses 1 to 3 of, of chapter 7, but this is where he's talking about the marriage relationship and using it as an illustration of our relationship with the law. So the relationship of marriage is a real relationship. It is a binding relationship as long as one or both of the spouses are alive, right? We, we understand this. But if a spouse dies, the bond is dissolved. The bond of marriage is dissolved completely. It no longer exists, okay? Now, Paul's not talking, I mean, we, we, when we, a spouse dies, that's a very sad thing for us. Paul's not talking along that line of thinking or that line of emotions. He's simply trying to illustrate the legal bond and the relationship here and how it gets dissolved when death uh, comes. Okay, So this is what has happened with our relationship to the law and to sin. In Christ Jesus, Paul says, we died to the law. So our binding relationship with the law is dissolved, completely gone, because of our death on the cross, or Jesus' death on the cross for us. All right, now we're going to read verses 4 to 6, okay? Likewise, my brothers, Paul says, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve not under the old written code, but in the new life of the Spirit. Dying to the law, what Paul is saying here, this, this idea of dying to the law has massive implications for you and for me. And, and that's how Paul structures this little paragraph that I just read and that is our text uh, for looking at this morning. He gives a series of results from 
dying to the law, uh, being crucified with Christ. And so that's what we're going to look at. You can find them, especially in the ESV translation, you can find these series of results by simply looking at the English words, so that, or in order that. And then there's a final, so that. What he's saying is, dying, you died to the cross, so that this. And we're going to look at that in a moment. In order that this. And another, so that this. The results of dying to the law. So, dying to the law, first thing. Let's find the first, so that. Uh, did you find it yet? Dying to the law means, first of all, a change in our position. We're here, and we've moved over here, and we didn't do that to ourselves. Jesus has done that for us. It says that we belong now to Jesus Christ, who is alive forevermore. This is found in most of verse 4, except for the very last part of it. See where it says there, verse 4, Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that, there it is, so that you may belong to another. Who do we belong to now? Jesus. So that you may belong to another. He's still working in that, that illustration of marriage. You died so you can belong to another one now. That bond that binding relationship with the law is gone so that you now belong to a new husband, Jesus Christ. Um, we are no longer bound to the law. Now, it's not that the law ceases to exist. The law continues to exist. The law is God's word. It is his standard. It's not that the law has ended or the law ceases to exist. It's that Jesus but it is our relationship to the law that has shifted, has changed, and Jesus has changed that for us. What he's saying is that when we were here, our relationship to the law was one of condemnation. But now that we are in Jesus Christ, we belong to him. We, are no, we do not relate to the law in terms of condemnation anymore. It doesn't hang over our heads, rightfully condemning us because Jesus took care of all of that for us. And we belong to him, the verse says, to him who has been raised from the dead. Okay, remember he's talking about marriage and he's talking about how death dissolves that. And now he says, you belong to one who has been raised from the dead. Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior, is the risen Lord and Savior. He is alive forevermore. He is alive today. I know it's a little difficult sometimes to, for us to consciously grasp that because he's not physically here. We can't touch him or feel him or smell him or all the things that we do, but Jesus Christ is alive today at the right hand of the Father, and he is simply waiting for the Father's word to say, all right, it's time, return. And he'll be coming. That is our great hope. Jesus is alive. Why is that important? We belong to one who died and rose again, and he is alive forevermore. We do not need to worry that our relationship, our belonging to Jesus Christ, will ever dissolve. It will never dissolve because he, will, he cannot, the Bible says, he cannot die anymore. He died once for all, and that's it. And our relationship, our bond to him then is forever. 
We should be rejoicing in that. Uh, we don't need to worry about it being dissolved. The Bible talks in many places about our relationship with Jesus Christ as though we belong to him in marriage. Uh, not just here in Romans, but other places. Metaphors like we are Christ's bride. Now, that's very intentional. We are, we are betrothed to him. We are his bride. We are, the, we are the bride of Christ. Think about all that means. The beautiful word picture that gives. When Jesus Christ, you know, you know you've been to weddings. You know how it works. <laughs> and the groom comes and the, and the preacher says, you know, the, the vows and everything, and the husband, the, the groom says to the bride, I do. Jesus says that to you. I do. I do. You are mine forevermore. You belong to me because of what I have done for you on the cross, because of my love. We belong to him. And that is a, is a relationship that will never end. So my encouragement to you this morning in terms of who we... just. Just remember to whom you belong. Remember that when life gets difficult. Remember that when you walk out of these doors and you're on your way home. Belonging to the law means condemnation. But belonging to Jesus Christ means we are free from condemnation. As it says in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit of life has set us free from the law of sin and death. Belonging to the law is to sit under condemnation. It's condemnation, and rightfully so. Belonging to Jesus Christ means we are freed from that. Praise God. Belonging to the law means, means you can't measure up to God's standards, no matter how hard you try. Yes, we can do some good things and good deeds here and there, but ultimately, belonging to Jesus Christ, uh, belonging to the law, excuse me, means that we, we, we know that we cannot measure up. And our life is on a trajectory of ultimately being condemned rightly under God's righteous judgment under his law. But belonging to Jesus Christ means he measures up for you. He has done it. Belonging to the law means defeat. It means death. It means hopelessness. Belonging to Jesus Christ means victory. It means life. And it means ultimate, real hope. So that's the first so that in this passage. So that you may belong to someone else. There's great riches here. Secondly, there's a, there's a second so that, but it comes out in the form of in order that in this uh, end part of verse 4. There's really a change in our purpose as well. Change in our position first and now a change in our purpose It says that we are now in a position to bear fruit for God. At the end of verse 4, it says, in order that, so that's our second clue here. Paul's talking about another result of all that Christ has done for us in dying to the law. In order that we may bear fruit to God. Paul changes the illustration here from marriage to agriculture. Okay, He can do that. He's Paul, the Holy Spirit 
inspired him to do that. Don't be angry at him. Not, this is not the first mention, of, not even Paul's first mention of the agriculture illustration by any means, even in the book of Romans. If you go back to chapter 6 and you look at verse 22, he mentions it there. He says, but now that you have been set free from sin, the fruit you get, agriculture, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. Now, there's a word in here I want to talk about for just a moment, and that is sanctification. This is chapter 6, verse 22. But he's saying the fruit that you get leads to sanctification, and it sanctification's end result is eternal life. What is sanctification? Well, sanctification is simply the work of the Holy Spirit in us as he changes us and he transforms us to be like Jesus Christ. Now, if you'll join me in the fellowship hall after the service, we're going to talk more about sanctification and other things related to it. We'll take more of a deep dive into that. But I wanted to mention that here and now and what Paul's talking about. Now, back to chapter 7, verse 5. In this verse, let me just read it again. He says, For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. So he contrasts bearing fruit for God with bearing fruit for death. Without Jesus Christ, because of sin, we bore fruit for death. While we were living in the flesh, We bore fruit for death, he says. Fruit, understand what fruit means here in this passage. Sometimes as Christians, we talk about fruit, and we're we're really referring to people's sort of outward behaviors, or look at their fruit in their lives and, you know, what they do. And fruit here does maybe include outward behaviors, but it's something much deeper than that. It really refers to purpose or end result of things, ultimate purpose. Without Jesus Christ, we produce our own fruit. And, our, and, and despite our best efforts, despite some good deeds, the fruit we produce on our own leads us really on an ultimate trajectory toward death. That's the bad news. <laughs> because we cannot measure up. But when we belong to Jesus Christ, he produces his fruit in us. That's a huge distinction and a huge privilege and a benefit that something that Jesus does for us. He produces his fruit within us so that we bear fruit for God. We cannot drum that up ourselves. We can't just try harder and be a good person and then we're going to bear fruit for God. It does not work that way. The only way that can happen is a radical transformation, a new birth by the Holy Spirit so that Jesus then comes into our lives and works that transformation within us. How? Okay, think about this illustration of agriculture. How do you get a plant to change the kind of fruit it produces? anybody can figure that out, let me know. All right, we have a peach tree in our backyard. Now, tell me, how can I get that, that peach tree to produce oranges this coming summer? If you can tell me how to do that, I really want to know, because I like oranges. Peaches are good too, but you can't do that, right? It doesn't work. 
There is no way because we're talking about changing something ultimately, if you think about it in a biological sense, down to the very DNA molecules. You can't do that. And that's the point. We cannot do that to ourselves or for ourselves. This is God's work in us. This is God's supernatural stuff. Only he can do. With God, Jesus said, all things are possible. The transforming work of the Holy Spirit in the power of Christ changes the very core of who we are down to the tiniest DNA molecule. I love it. So the purpose of our lives then is transformed. The fruit produced in us is radically changed from death to life. This is what Jesus does for us. And this is what Paul means when he says that our purpose now is changed to bear fruit for God and no longer for death. So we've seen that uh, the first result of dying to the law is that we belong to a new, someone new. And the second result is that we bear fruit for God. And now let's look at the third result. This is verse six. It's really in a change in our power source we, this verse tells us that we serve in the new life of the Spirit. The verse says, but now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that, there it is, you were looking for it, I know, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Paul changes the imagery once again here, from marriage to agriculture and now to the idea of servanthood or even, we'll go a step further, even the idea of slavery, okay? Um, we, we have some cultural distance with the concept of servanthood or slavery. It's not something that's really commonly part of our American middle-class uh, lifestyle. I think that the closest cultural equivalent that we have is really the idea of employment. Uh, and I, I think, you know, we understand this. We understand the employer-employee relationship, right? And we understand the obligations that go with, hey, I'm an employee of this person or this company. The obligations, the expectations, the, the loyalty that's associated with employment. And I think that's the closest uh, kind of equivalent that we have here. And, and it's the idea of what Paul's talking about. Paul's point, though, is not so much about uh, who our employer is or who we are serving, although that has changed. We're not serving the law anymore. We're serving Jesus Christ. His point more here is not so much who we're serving, it's how we are serving and the way that we serve. Being set free from the law by dying to it in Jesus Christ introduces a radical change in the source of our motivation and it introduces a radical change in the source of our strength. Let's look at the motivation part of it first. Serving in the old way of the written code or the law is forced. It's forced upon us. We have no choice about it. It's the only way if we're in that mode, it's the only way that we can please God. And we, we fail. We wind up failing miserably, no matter how hard we try. But serving in the new way of the Spirit 
is serving in the freedom of Jesus Christ. John Stott, a well-known biblical commentator, is helpful here. He, John Stott says, why do we serve not because the law is our master and we have to, but because Christ is our husband and we want to. That's the distinction between the two here. He goes on to say, not because obedience leads to salvation, but because salvation leads to obedience. It's a difference, really, between you know, the, the inmates out on the highway picking up the trash while under the very watchful eye of the guards, the difference between that and a church group doing the very same job because they want to be out and beautify God's creation, take care of it, and beautify their community. It's completely different motivations going on there. Different way of serving, different motivation. The other thing that radically changes is our source of strength. Because the presence of the Holy Spirit is the distinguishing mark or the distinguishing characteristic of every believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. The presence of God's Holy Spirit. And he is our strength now. Without Jesus, he's not present in our lives. And we are left for our own strength. He is the new source of our life and our strength. He is the eternal well from which we draw our strength, our motivation, and our ability to serve. So this is what how Paul describes serving in the new way of the Spirit. It's in all the freedoms that I've just been talking about. So just to wrap this up, I mean, there is so much in these three verses, and we probably just scratched the surface, but... Uh, There's just so much richness to explore in terms of all that God has done for us in Jesus Christ in his death and his resurrection. We could go on for, we should go on for all eternity exploring that. There's no way, just to kind of wrap this up again, there's no way that we can die to the law ourselves. Okay? And I wanted to be clear that when we talk about I live according to the law. I live according to the spirit, not according to the law. Many times Christians get mixed up thinking that means I don't have to worry about sin. I can just do whatever I want now. That is not what Paul is talking about here. He's talking about freedom from the condemnation of the law and the freedom of serving in Jesus Christ. And he's saying again that there is no way that we ourselves can die to the law. Only Jesus Christ can do that. And the good news is he has done that for you and for me. Let's just move forward in the joy of serving him in all that he has done for us. The position, the new position that he has put us in to serve him with new motivation, new love, new life in the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Our Lord, thank you for all that you've done. Just unpacking this in these three verses all that you have done for us in the Lord Jesus Christ I pray that now as we sing we will sing from our hearts in response to you in joy but as we go out and live our lives this week our lives will be a response of 
loving obedience to all that you have done for us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.